This podcast is made possible by The Social Voice Project. I'm Kevin Farkas, founder and executive producer. Stick around to the end of the podcast to learn more about The Social Voice Project, an innovative public interest media company specializing in podcasting, oral histories, and live event recording. Welcome to this episode of the Little Beaver Historical Society's podcast. I'm your host, Dave Holowiko. With me today is Karen Myers of the Fred Rogers Center. Karen, what's your exact title? My title is Director of Development and Communications. For those that don't know, the Fred Rogers Center is located in Latrobe on the campus of St. Vincent's College. It's upstairs from the Muriel and Foster McCarl Coverlet Gallery. How did the Fred Rogers Center come to be, Karen? Latrobe is actually Fred Rogers' childhood neighborhood, so he grew up here right in the heart of Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and of course has strong ties to St. Vincent because we were right in his backyard growing up, but he had a wonderful friendship with our Archabbot and Chancellor Douglas Nowicki, and actually Archabbot Douglas studied child development, he has a PhD in child psychology, and worked with Fred on some episodes of The Neighborhood. So they struck up a lifelong friendship. And when it came time for Fred to think about what he wanted to do with his legacy beyond The Neighborhood, Archabbot Douglas was the first one to say, why don't you come back to your original neighborhood? So it was originally envisioned that he would be an artist in residence here at the center. There's a large collection of Fred's artifacts from, from his show and, and various other things. What, if somebody comes to uh, St. Vincent's, can they see of Fred's history? Well, we have a public exhibit here, which is chronologically ordered, taking you from Fred's life growing up here in Latrobe to the visioning of the Fred Rogers Center. We have the original trolley. We have Daniel's clock, a lot of the original puppets. We have some of Fred's compositions. It's really a wonderful collection that's been curated over the years. But Fred saved a lot of his work. And so we have a lot of that here in the Fred Rogers archive. So right now we have over 18,000 items and we do occasionally grant behind the scenes tours. So if people are interested, they can always contact us. So we do have the public exhibit area, including a great speedy delivery mail area in case you want to drop a line to Fred or what his life and legacy meant to you. But we also have some things that are um, available for public research. So people that have an interest in an area that Fred had studied or worked with, um, everything from PSAs to child development, we have all of that curated here at the Fred Rogers Center. And so people are able to contact us for research purposes too. It's, it's interesting that you say that because Fred had such a dramatic impact on probably all of our lives, even even myself in my 50s. I mean, Fred was on the air with Josie Carey early and then, then his own show. Did you know Fred at all or was he already gone when, when you started? I did not have the pleasure of meeting Fred Rogers. Now, mind you, I grew up in a very small town and we only had three television stations. Yes. So public broadcasting was really my introduction to television as a child. So I saw Fred every day on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And when I had the opportunity to interview for this position, my husband um, had had a father who was an academic and was oftentimes gone for very long hours in the day because he was a mathematician and a computer scientist. And he said to me, 
Fred Rogers was like my father growing up. You have to come to the Fred Rogers Center. And he spoke with such passion about what Fred meant to him as a child. And so, of course, I had the, the viewing pleasure of sort of the life lessons of Fred Rogers. But I saw my husband express it as, you know, I had the absence of a father. I had a father, but he just wasn't there a lot. And so I think that a lot of people really feel a tremendous connection to Fred because of that, that he filled a void in children lives. Well, I, I found it interesting. I mean, even in my 50s, I grew up with Fred. And then my nephews, who I used to babysit, uh, boom, they're watching Fred too. And the life lessons that Fred taught, I think, relate to everybody. Absolutely. And what we know from working through Fred's archive, you know, and thinking about the scripts related to the neighborhood, there were a lot of theme weeks built into Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, and that was very thoughtful. So throughout the week, they would address a topic, and it was really thoughtfully done. Fred studied child development. He worked with a consultant, Dr. Margaret McFarland, at the University of Pittsburgh, who was a child psychologist, and they were very thoughtful about what young children felt and explored that emotion so that the topics could be introduced in a way that wasn't frightening, that it brought about a sense of confidence and peace for young children. And I think that's really something that uh, young children gravitate to, plus the routine of the show. I mean, obviously, you know, we knew Fred was going to walk through that door, come in, change from a blazer to a sweater, take off those dress shoes and put on those sneakers. And so young children knew what to expect. And so I think that sense of routine is incredibly comforting to young children. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you ask anybody in, in, well, anybody across the country that watched Fred, they know they can, you know, they can know exactly what he was going to do every show. What I find interesting about Fred is he brought up topics on his show that nobody else was approaching for children. And, and this one I, I remember because I was older at the time, but my nephew was watching. It was the first time uh, he had a, a child on in a wheelchair. And nobody, I mean, at, at that era in life, you sort of looked away from children. Here's Fred bringing out this child in, wheel in a wheelchair and proving that he's just another human being. I think that Jeff Erdlinger piece when he was on was just such a powerful piece. Fred had the opportunity to invite Jeff Erdlinger to the studio, and Jeff used a motorized wheel wheelchair. And of course, he came on and talked about, you know, what it was like um, going through his illness, how it made him feel, how he used his transportation, that using the wheelchair was actually just very much a part of Jeff's life. It was routine for him. And then, of course, the very powerful moment that they had in which they sang, It's You, I like together. And that is talking about just treating somebody like no matter what's going on in their life, no matter how they are, what they look like, that it's the innermost portions of a person that matter most. And so the authenticity of that kindness on the inside. And so I think that was what was such a powerful scene in that is when they sang together and uh, closed out that scene together that way. Fred never really ever deviated from script when he was doing Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but that entire conversation was real and it was what was happening in the moment. It was the conversation that they were having. It wasn't something that he set out and said, you know, I really want to have this conversation with Jeff and this is going to be scripted and this is how 
he's going to reply. It was that authentic emotion, Jeff talking about his feelings and what it's like to be different, but what it's like to be very much the same as everybody else at the human and emotional level that was so powerful. And they captured all that on film. And if you've ever noticed one thing about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, it's not like there are multiple cuts during an episode. It's one continuous stream of film. And so that was that one authentic moment that was captured without any cuts, without any panning, without any breaks. And so it was just a tremendous opportunity to show how we're different, but we're all very much alike. It was the first time that anybody had ever talked to a child in a wheelchair. I think Fred was probably the first one that ever brought somebody on that had a physical deformity or a problem. In the 60s and 70s, it was always shied away from, you know, oh, yes, they have a special child. Well, they're not special. They're special to their parents, but they're still children. Right. And I think one of the things that Fred really frowned upon even was the word um, disabilities in general, because, you know, he felt it implied lack of ability instead of being, you know, differently abled like so many people are. So he really brought a lot of topics to the mainstream. And I think, too, in having somebody on the show with dis with a disability, it showed that they're human like everybody else. I think sometimes children don't know how to react when they encounter somebody who has a disability. And this was an introduction to somebody who was a child just like them, but happened to have a very different experience growing up because they used a wheelchair. And so I think to be able to thoughtfully address that, and I think in some ways, Fred ask some questions that maybe children were thinking themselves and sometimes are too afraid to ask or too embarrassed to ask. Or, you know, if you're like some young children and they're in the grocery store and you hear the, hey, mommy, did you right. see the, and, you know, parents are mortified. They don't want to talk about it. And to be able to just very simply address in easy to understand terms and, 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 and address it within a relationship, that friendship that, you know, Fred and Jeff had struck up in that moment that they had on television together is really powerful for young children to see. I know through the years, Fred attracted some of the biggest stars in the world. They all wanted to be on his show. And Yo-Yo Ma came. And it was interesting. Even though, again, I was older and my nephew was watching and I'm thinking, well, here's a world-class musician coming to Fred to discuss his his craft. He was a musician himself, right? Absolutely. He had a degree in composition from Rollins College and, you know, was a songwriter. And many of the songs on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, he composed himself. And so one of the things that he felt was so important was to show children artists and musicians who loved their craft. And then to talk about how music made them feel and that expression of emotion. Because Fred was a shy child, and so a lot of the time he expressed his emotions through the piano. So he said it was almost as if he was laughing and crying through his fingertips. So if he felt particularly sad on a day, you know, he might play music that was more sorrowful, or if he felt um, happy, you know, he might play music that was more lively and lighthearted. And so he asked musicians to talk about those things. Talk about how did that music make you feel or give me an example of some music that you might play when you're sad. And so we have a tremendous sort of history here now with Yo-Yo Ma. Um, Yo-Yo Ma was actually our first recipient of the Fred Rogers Legacy Award here at the center in 2014. So he came on campus. He did a wonderful campus visit 
performed here in the St. Vincent Basilica, which is an absolutely beautiful space and was truly an amazing day uh, and a tribute to an amazing man and an amazing legacy. And when reflecting back on that experience, um, Yo-Yo Ma said the greatest award he's received in his life was actually the Fred Rogers Legacy Award because of the meaning behind it. And so we couldn't be um, prouder of being a catalyst in that process, but also having these great examples of Fred talking to world-class musicians about their craft because we started a program here at St. Vincent called the Neighborhood Music Visits, and it's strikingly similar to what Fred did when he had musicians visiting the show. We have a student who acts as host, and we have a student musician, and they go out to preschools and library programs and community settings and work with young children and talk about emotions when they play music and the soft skills, the persistent skills that it took them to learn to play an instrument. And for somebody who's three years old, it's very exciting to have yeah. this group of students in their setting and they talk about how music makes them feel and how to move to the music. And, you know, they do different activities around rhythm and talk about, you know, when's the time that maybe you struggle to learn something. And so I think the real key in there is to have that conversation with a musician to talk about the feelings, but also say that even as an adult, even as a 20-year-old student, it's okay for me to struggle to learn something, that it took me a long time to sound good as a musician, so that you know children feel like, oh, it's important to persist, or I can do this too. And so it's a really great way to introduce music to children at an early age. I think that's great because in this day and age, as budgets for schools have gone down, music programs have disappeared. Uh, I know some of some of my friends' uh, children have their children, and they have to pay to actually be in the band. It's unlike when I was a child. I mean, you went you went to school, they, you know, you got an instrument, you were in the band. It doesn't work that way anymore. We, we're sitting in a studio at the Fred Rogers uh, Center. Um, do we use the studio for recording anything or? We actually do some work in multimedia here. Um, really, the key piece to that is working with our students. So we have a student lab here called the Incubator 143 Lab. And uh, it's 143 because Fred felt that 143 meant I love you because, you know, I being one letter, love being four letters, and you being three. And he actually used to look out on a lighthouse when he had vacation in Nantucket, and he would see the lighthouse operator signaling um, one signal, then four and then three and he finally met the lighthouse operator and he said you know are you signaling i love you and he's like yes i actually signal to my wife every night from the lighthouse and so fred had that figured out long before everybody else and that's an amazing story in his adult life he maintained the weight of 143 pounds so we have an incubator here that is focused on creating social change for young children and so they do video editing on our simple interactions program which is designed to capture everyday interactions between children and their caregivers and demonstrate how these caregivers are doing an amazing job, those unique moments where you feel like somebody's really connecting with a child. And so we edit those clips, take them back to the teachers, do professional development. And what we've noticed is when you uplift somebody's practice and you say, hey, you're doing an amazing job, there is a tendency to be a lot more of that. So we worked in child life departments and hospitals. We're currently working with an early language literacy initiative in the state of Georgia. We've worked in after school programs and of course, 
across a wide variety of pre-K and early childhood settings. And it's consistent, you know, Fred believed that every child needed one caring adult in their life. And if we can't always have the best circumstances with every child, we can always make sure that we are finding and connecting that one caring adult and uplifting them to be empowered, to be an agent of change in that child's life. I want to congratulate you and everybody that works here. Somewhere Fred is smiling because, you know, to do this with children in this day and age, um, the way everybody has to work, they don't get it, they don't get the knowledge from their parents and, and to have an adult or even, even a 20 something college kids care about a kid can make the difference. We have used this approach, the simple interactions approach, um, even in orphanages in China. And so my colleague, Dr. Joan Lai Li, who founded the simple interactions approach, uh, started working in orphanages originally in rural China. And now mind you, this particular orphanage, it's a village that is a farming village. And there are women that take care of these young children who were basically dropped there because they had either a physical or developmental disability. And even with these farming, you know, villager wives that are taking care of these young children, what we've noticed is there is something that is natural and loving and kind in the interactions that we see with these children, things that they're doing instinctively. They're not trained, you know, they don't have a degree in developmental psychology. But when you go back and you show them all of the amazing things they're doing, number one, they just glow. And number two, they tend to integrate these things even more into what they're doing with the children. So it's a way of improving the quality of childcare everywhere. And that doesn't matter if you're in rural China or you're in the best resource school in America. Um, you know, there are always opportunities to um, find those caring adults and, and uplift what they're doing. I know you never met Fred, but I have a question. Do you think when Fred started doing the show, that he would, would have thought that he would have this much impact even after his death? Well, I think I reflect back on one of the quotes that Fred Rogers had said, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you, but he said, you know, he'd just like to be remembered that he was someone who came around in a time when there was this amazing thing called television. And so I think one of the things that Fred mastered so well was talking to each individual child. You know, when viewers watched him, they felt like he was talking directly to them. And so I think beyond anything else, Fred fostered a connection with an audience unlike anybody else ever had. So I think ultimately, in some ways, Fred was so deeply humble that, you know, when we first started to think about what we could do here and having an exhibit, you know, Fred was not somebody who wanted a museum built to him and his legacy, but he was somebody that I think would have just continued to be astounded at what people remember and what people took away from the show. And, and you're right. I mean, here I am 58 years old and I'm talking about, you know, seeing seeing Fred on television and my nephews. And so it's stuck in our memories. The humanness, the, the, the being a human being sticks with you. So I, I'm going to get away from Fred a little bit and talk about the center. And when, when we walked in, I saw an amazing sight. You have an archive of Fred's items, but you have windows at different heights. Can you explain that? 
Absolutely. And you know, if you notice, the windows are at different heights, as are the handrails um, to the staircase right. here in this building. And so it was built with the idea that we would have visitors of all different ages coming to the center. And so we wanted to make it as accessible as possible for our very tiniest visitors to our tallest visitors. So the idea that if parents visited, they'd often be visiting with their children and they'd be able to look in and see the function of the archive. I know Fred's show isn't on as much anymore, but little kids still see Daniel Taggart's neighborhood and things that were, were, you know, Fred's ideas. Do the little kids come in and they see the puppets and things through the windows? Do you do you hear comments uh, about? It's interesting because we have some families that are absolutely still raising their children on Fred Rogers because, right. you know, it is available. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is available through streaming service on Amazon. You can also purchase the DVDs. Um, and so there are people, we've had children that have come in, you know, they've been about two and a half years old and they've walked right over to the images of Fred and right. the exhibit and kissed the exhibit. And so again, because he's talking to them. Exactly. So we've had just some tremendous experiences in terms of family visits and of course, you know, raving fans and young children. Um, we have a family that has followed us for a long time on social media and they actually sent us a picture of their son last Halloween dressed up as Fred Rogers <laughs> for trick or treat. And of course, he was wearing the adorable red cardigan and the shoes. And so I think that there's a generation that still strongly identifies with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and they want to bring that to their child today. And I think what's so distinct in comparison to today's media for children is, is the pace. It's designed so a child can sit down and it draws you in as opposed to modern media with a lot of cuts, a lot of kitsch, a lot of um, different characters, a lot Sound of different effects. And yeah, exactly. And volume, you know, Fred had this soft spokenness that I think really got children to kind of sit down and take a little break out of their day and enjoy that visit with him. How did you happen to come to the Fred Rogers Center? Oh, I have a very interesting background coming here to the Fred Rogers Center. So um, I graduated with a degree in advertising and public relations, and I have minors in business and speech communication. And my husband and I end up doing a corporate relocation um, from central Pennsylvania to western Pennsylvania. And I had left a position as the executive director of a symphony orchestra. So I had done a lot of work in the arts fundraising. And then when I moved to Western PA, I started doing more and more work around social services and family development and, of course, all different elements of family life, everything from funding things like developmental playgroups for children with disabilities to supporting organizations who provided services for people with disabilities. So I had this broad-based experience of doing fundraising and went to graduate school at Carlow University and got a master's degree in training and professional leadership. And all of these things sort of came together at once. So I've been working, you know, in fundraising and marketing communications for years. So I'm about uh, 20 years into my professional career now. And this position opened at the Rogers Center. And believe it or not, it was originally posted as a part-time position. And I thought, you know, Fred is so amazing. I'd be willing to do this for 20 hours a week. Right. And um, they took the post down. And I thought, well, where did this job go? Did they fill it already? And I got a call 
from a, a headhunter agency because I had submitted an interest in the position and they said, hey, we've made it full time if you want to do a screening. And so, of course, I did the, the screening, the in-person screening, had multiple interviews here and the rest is history. So it's an incredible opportunity and joy every day to be involved with Fred Rogers Legacy and to be able to bring that to people uh, you know, for generations to come. And I think, you know, that's the powerful thing. Um, Fred's messages are universal. Um, and I think that they're something that are really evergreen. And that's the exciting thing about it. A, a question about your collection. Um, if somebody has something interesting from Fred Rogers from... Can they bring it to you? Absolutely. Um, sometimes we have people that come in and they say, hey, I found this and I want to donate this or, hey, can you tell me more about this? And I have joked at some point, I know we are going to have our own version of Antiques Roadshow Fred Rogers edition here at the center, <laughs> but it is going to happen because I am just constantly amazed at the local history around Fred and, of course, Everybody has their Fred Rogers story. We actually have a section on our website that is devoted to sharing your Fred Rogers story. How did Fred touch you in some way? You know, did you meet him? Is there something that you responded to when you were a child and you said, oh, my gosh, this is for me because of Fred Rogers? So we always encourage people to come by, share what they found, tell us a little bit about the history and what they know. And then, of course, you know, sometimes we do some fact finding for them in order to authenticate anything. But it's been really a wonderful um, community partnership when it comes to people coming in and saying, hey, I found these photos of Fred Rogers when we were eight years old at my birthday party. I'd like to donate them to you. So it's really been um, a tremendous um, outpouring of love from the community over the years. Well, I know this is the 50th anniversary of Fred starting the show, right? And there's been a lot of celebrations. I know the Heinz History Center had some. And the post office just issued recently a stamp with Fred Rogers' Uh, face on it and catch your own stamp. You're a pretty important person. Oh, absolutely. And it's amazing to say that we work in the footsteps of somebody who has their own stamp. Um, it was just released on Friday, March 23rd. And so that was just a few days after Fred's 90th birthday. And, you know, you think there are so very few people that are honored with a stamp. And of course, it's Fred with King Friday on there. And of course, one of the things people don't realize is that Fred had such an affection for letter writing. So I can think of no better way to really honor him and the connections he made with people and the relationships that he fostered than with a postage stamp because we have volumes and volumes of fan mail here at the Fred Rogers Center in our archive as well as personal correspondence. And there's even a book, Dear Mr. Rogers, which consist of letters written by young and older fans to Fred, um, including, you know, letters as only very young fans can write, such as topics like, Mr. Rogers, are you for real? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people did ask if Mr. Rogers was for real. Although I never met him, I, I have talked to people who met him. And Fred was Fred on the air and off the air. It was the same person. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things. He never wanted to play a character. He never wanted to pander to people's most based interest. He was really somebody that was a tremendously authentic and um, we have joked on this campus that Fred was always humble, always 
grateful, always known for saying thank you. Um, our president, Brother Norman Hips, one time sat next to him at, a, at an event here in St. Vincent campus and received a thank you letter for sitting next to Fred the following day. So that's really to talk about how gracious a person he was to say thank you for sitting next to me. That's interesting. If somebody wants to visit, what are your hours? We are open Monday through Friday from 8.30 to 4.30, also by special appointment. Um, we do private tours from time to time, so if anybody's ever interested in setting that up, they can give us a call at 724-805-2750, and we would be happy to work with them on that. We also have a great web presence located at fredrogerscenter.org in which people can learn more about Fred's life and work. Well, our time is about done, Karen. I want to thank you for coming on board the podcast. I've learned some interesting things. And I think anything that anybody can learn about Fred Rogers is, is good to learn. Fred was a good person. Well, thank you so much for having me. And we couldn't be more grateful for you to bring this out to your audience and, and share in all the wonderful things that Fred Rogers represents. So thank you. This is Kevin Farkas here again. You've just heard a podcast produced by The Social Voice Project. We specialize in podcasting and other creative media partnerships with community-oriented organizations and individuals. We are dedicated to promoting a wide range of nonprofits, community and cultural projects, public history initiatives, the performing arts, and tourism. To learn more about us, visit thesocialvoiceproject.org.